these are extraordinary times, but with too much information and much of it confusing. On Body Ecology Living, I interview some of the best minds to help you live your best life possible. We'll discuss topics on using foods to heal, on building a hearty immune system, on aging well, on taking care of your gut and, of course, your brain, but most of all, on clarifying the right steps to be happier, healthier, and having the energy to make a difference in your own world. Welcome to Body Ecology Living. So our guest today is really special. It's taken me quite a while to track him down. Well, actually, I didn't have to track him down. It's just that he's an incredibly busy person, doctor, and he's the doctor, the kind of doctor you want to have in your life. He's incredibly compassionate. His whole bio and tell you where college he graduated from and all that. He practices in New York. But what I really want you to know is that he's a genius in understanding the microbiome. And he's been into the microbiome before other people ever got into it. So he's got different books. He has the microbiome diet, but he has a brand new book out. I guess it's his latest book. He can yes. correct me on that. Yes. And it's called Microbiome Thyroid. And because right. so many people are interested in both topics, microbiome and the thyroid. And I think you're going to love this talk today, but also we're going to talk about two brand new pieces of information that I'm almost 100% positive you've never heard of before. Right. So hopefully you'll share this with your practitioner. There's parts of it you're going to want to listen to several times because it can get a little complicated, but this is really important. So Dr. Kalman, thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor. Thank you, Donna. Well, you know, I wanted to do this because, of course, I've been following you, you know, as a friend, because we met years ago at an autism right. conference. I don't know if you remember that. And outside, we were talking out of the conference room. And you had mentioned to me that you had a whole different way of seeing the thyroid and testing the thyroid. And that right. really piqued my interest. And over all these years, I've wanted to ask you, what are you talking about? And then yeah. the book came out. And fortunately, there's a whole chapter and it's also woven throughout the book. But for everybody's sake, let's just start at the very, very beginning. And what I'd love for you to do is explain. Well, before I get started, is there anything you want to say? No, except this is an honor to be on with you. And I am sure we're going to have a very interesting conversation like we've always had in the past. Yes. But this might be extra important because, again, people are so off base in understanding the thyroid. And so this is brand new information. They won't know. Yeah. Okay. So would you please explain that test that you're probably the only person I've ever heard of that does right. it? And it's so accurate. So could we start there? Like, what's the name of the test and what sure. are you testing? Yes. Well, it's well known. And I think many of your listeners know this or sense this, that the routine thyroid blood tests could frequently miss the diagnosis. There's countless numbers of people who are walking around with fatigue and memory issues and mood not so great and uh, weight gain or difficulty losing weight. And they rightfully think there's something off with their thyroid. And lo and behold, the routine tests keep on coming back normal. So this is a very common, common scenario, and so many people suffer from this scenario. Now, the routine blood tests 
there's a number of reasons why they may not be so accurate. Well, number one is that who's to say that the blood levels are always going to be the same throughout a 24-hour period of time and that perhaps they vacillate or they change. And in fact, we do know that they can vacillate, they can change the, the levels of these different hormones, especially the pituitary hormone, the TSH, which controls the thyroid. And so if that's the case, then how accurate could these routine blood tests be? Additionally, there's the general population reference range, let's say for TSH, which is a, a pituitary hormone, as I said, let's say the range is one to four, for example. Mm. That's a big population. Well, maybe for the individual, it's different. Maybe for one particular person, the, the ideal range could be from one to 2.2. And for another one, it could be 0.8 to 2.6. It could be very different from person to person. So these are just some of the problems in regards to the routine tests. So the test that I do is called the TRH stimulation test. Now, what this does is that we take a hormone that the body makes and we inject it in the vein, and then that stimulates the pituitary gland to release TSH. Now, if the thyroid is underactive and not producing enough thyroid hormone, the pituitary gland will sense it and then start to produce more TSH to try to stimulate the thyroid to make more thyroid hormone. So the regular or routine tests will say, well, let's just measure TSH in the blood. If it's high, that means your thyroid is low. But the problem is that that TSH could vacillate in every given day or every time of the day. So at nine o'clock, it may be two, and at 12, it could be four, or and three o'clock could be seven. It could be all over the place. And that's what the research shows, that it can vacillate over a 24-hour period. So the beauty of this test is that irrespective of what you're going to see in the blood at any particular moment, if your thyroid is low in the pituitary gland, it's going to build up a lot of TSH because it's getting ready to whenever it needs to send out more TSH to stimulate the pituitary. So when we stimulate the pituitary with TRH, because that causes the TSH to spill out, to be sent out. So you're out. injecting that into people, right? Yes, mm -hmm. yes. And it's a safe test. It's exactly what our body makes. And then if we see a high spike in the TSH in the blood, then we know your thyroid is low because the pituitary is building it all up and then it's releasing it when we stimulate it. So that's the beauty of the TRH test, that it could bypass this whole controversy of the fact that the TSH level could change over a 24-hour period. That's the beauty of this test. Plus, the reference range is much larger, so we're able to really overcome the individual reference range that could skew the results. So that's the TRH stimulation. Now, I've been doing this. They used to use this. The medical community used to use this test. They stopped using it erroneously when the assays of the blood test became more sensitive. So they thought, well, we don't need to do this stimulation to get the levels high. But what they failed to realize is that 
this is a real functional test. This really will show us a lot more than what you see on routine blood testing. It's like the difference between an EKG versus a stress test when you're running. It's a whole different type of a test. So that's the beauty of the TRH test. And well, when they stopped using it, I said, no, I think this is a very important test because as a functional medicine doctor, you know, you, you want to look deeper and that you know that regular routine blood tests could miss so much that's happening beneath the tip of the iceberg. So I held on to the test. I kept on using it. I kind of resurrected it. And I, you know, got pharmaceutical companies to actually continue to make it. I, I've trained a few people to know how to use it. There's been research subsequently to show that, in fact, in certain times, in certain situations, in certain population groups, in certain patients who have certain types of symptoms and the routine tests are normal, that, in fact, we should do the TRH stimulation test. So this has been verified by research. And I can tell you that there's countless numbers of people that I've seen over the years that have been normal on regular tests. And on this test, we came up with the diagnosis. And lo and behold, they were many of these people were right, that they thought that their thyroid was low, but the routine test kept on coming back normal. But this test, the TRH test, actually vindicated their ideas, their feelings, that in fact their thyroid is really low. And it's changed you know, countless lives. And you know, people come from really all over the world for this test. And then we'll talk about this other, I know you want to talk about this condition called NTIS, non-thyroid mm -hmm. illness syndrome. But, but I'd like to know more about why are not more doctors? It's a very good question. And I brought this up to many holistic functional medicine practitioners. For the life of me, I don't know. And I think it's because they just don't know how to use it. And I think mm -hmm. that it fell out of vogue. They don't know how to use it. They think that I don't know, there's this typical response by the conventional medical world, ah, no, we don't need that test. You know, we know enough from the routine test, but there's plenty of research to show that that's not true. And mm -hmm. that we know that, you know, functional medicine doctors know that routine thyroid testing could be all over the place, that they don't trust the range. So why are they not interested in the TRH stimulation? Now, it, partly it's because they just don't know about it. Or you said it's not that easy to get. You you had to get it. can. I'm able to get it now. I mean, it, if, mm -hmm. you know, someone would be interested. I mean, I once brought this up to Jeffrey Bland many, many years ago. I was on one of his recordings, but I never really followed through I mean, about the importance of this. I've spoken at Autism Research Institute about this very right. test. But again, I just think that People are just not familiar with it. They're uncomfortable, perhaps, because it's an unknown. They don't know how to use it. Well, that's why I wanted to do this interview. And also, that's why I'm really glad you wrote the book, Microbiome Thyroid, because this is an opportunity to get this out there. Right. And I think I would be embarrassed if I were a doctor and people were coming to me and they said they were so tired and they had all these symptoms. And I look and report to them, well, it's normal. I mean, I've heard that for 20 years. Right. People say, Can I see your thyroid results, please? And right. oh, well, either they just have tested TSH and nothing else. So I hope people listening to this, like even if you're not a practitioner and you're not doing these type of tests, if you're a person who's got these symptoms and you're getting this, you know, bad information back, you know, take this out there and tell other people and but so, Dr. Cohen, you can train people. Can they, these, yes. can a doctor call you? Yeah, of and, course. 
And how about other people? Do they have to fly in to see you or can they do this over the phone? Look, you know, we do phone appointments if people are out of state, of course. Look, Mm -hmm. sometimes we can't get the TRH test. So you have to use the routine test, but it has to be extensive. It can't just be, you know, TSH and free T4. It has to be very, very extensive. And also you have to know how to read between the lines. You know, you have to Mm -hmm. go by many, many factors, a history, You have to look to see if there are antibodies. Look, if someone has symptoms of fatigue, weight gain, constipation, brain fog, et cetera, hair loss, and they've had thyroid antibodies, and this has been going on for 15 years, what are the chances that there's enough thyroid gland left that's going to give them an adequate production of thyroid hormone that they're going to be able to live a healthy, normal life? I mean, it's like a fire burning in a forest for years how much of that forest is going to be left? So then you have to really question the routine tests. Oh, you know, I frequently would pay more attention to the history and the thyroid antibodies than I would to TSH levels, T4, T3, because this is just common sense if there's been inflammation on the thyroid for years, right? And they've been suffering from these symptoms you just got to bypass sometimes the routine blood testing and say, I got to go by what makes sense clinically, especially if you know what you typically would see on the TRH test. And also what you know about, because I've used that test for so long, I know how the thyroid signaling system from the hypothalamus to the pituitary to the thyroid, how it works, what it's showing us and what it's not showing us. It's not showing us a lot. You know, we think that us doctors, oh, we know exactly what the mind of this hormonal endocrine system is all about just by looking at the routine blood testing. If I could speak metaphorically, it's laughing at us. There's so much beneath all of that. It's so nuanced and there are so many layers and levels and that it's so much beyond just what you can see on routine blood testing. So I'll give you an example. There's a very big difference between what you're going to see in the serum level and what's actually happening on a tissue level. Here's a very fundamental mistake that is rooted in conventional medicine. That what's in the blood is the same as what you're going to find in the tissues, right? And we know that's not true in regards to, let's say, heavy metals, right? You could have a big toxic burden of lead or mercury in the tissues, let's say, in the brain or the liver, in the bones. And yet in the blood, it may come out completely normal. So there's tremendous variation between those two compartments of the body. The body is very compartmentalized in many ways between what you're going to see in the serum, what you're going to see in testicial space, what you're going to see in cells. It could be very, very, very different for many, many, many different reasons. So we have to understand that that premise is fallacious. And once you know that, well, then, you know, you're thinking differently. And then you also have to realize that over time, these different compartments are shifting in terms of what the levels that it has. And sometimes when you start treating, everything could be temporarily shifted. And then, you know, you could read the blood test and you could be totally off because you're not realizing that it's in the middle of a shift. So you're getting, you know, you're getting just one point on a graph or you're just looking at the stars, you know, one night and you're going to try to understand the whole big picture, it's impossible. So it's a very, very complex system. 
And step one is to better understand this system is to know what our fallacies are, what mistakes we've been making, and how to better interpret the blood results that we see based on an inner understanding of what this complex system is really doing and how it's changing over time. So the thyroid system, uh, hypothalamus, pituitary, and so on, that's complicated, but the test is super simple. Yes. And that's amazing. And it's not that hard no. to interpret the results because if you see high levels of T TSH. ASH, yeah, then you know that you do have a thyroid problem. Exactly. And then, you know, I'd like to talk, I mean, how would you treat that? But I'd also like to bring up Hashimoto's because I hear constantly that the Hashimoto's is the number one problem that everybody has, especially young women, and it's not treatable. So can we talk about those two things? Like when you find the results in this test, then what do you do? And what about Hashimoto's? And you see right. high antibodies. Right. So look, if let's say on the TRH stimulation test, it's pretty clear that someone's thyroid is low and it's been going on a while, well, you have a number of options. You know, one, you could try to understand the deeper causes of what's causing this. I can tell you that it's, you know, very, very complicated. With Hashimoto's, that's autoimmune, so that's one set of causes. But with just general hypothyroidism, the causes are very, very complex and multifactorial. You know, one could simply be iodine deficiency, but it's not just that you're deficient in iodine. And here in America, we're deficient in iodine as well, but there's also iodine competitors. There's different chemicals in the environment that are competing with iodine for uptake into the thyroid. So there's functional deficiencies in iodine as well, but which means that, you know, we have to detox from the chemicals, all the toxic compounds that are in the body. So that certainly is, you know, one approach. I think a lot of it is inflammation, not just nutrient deficiencies, but inflammation is another common yeah, cause. Yeah, because I, I want to get into that, but I, I'd like to, before we get into that, because that's a, the other important thing that no one knows, you know, the book's called Microbiome Thyroid. So, right. And you say in the book that if you're going to fix the thyroid, you've got to have a healthy microbiome. And you do a beautiful right. job, an excellent job of explaining it so simply what the microbiome is doing in this connection between the thyroid and the microbiome. And, you know, people say all the time constantly about the gut-brain connection. Well, these hormones, I mean, these organs, the hypothalamus and the pituitary are in the brain, just for people to think about that. So, yeah, there's a gut-brain connection, but we're also talking about these endocrine organs up in the brain. So let's talk about the microbiome, and if you don't mind, why do you think it's so important that it be addressed? And if there's problems there, how is that affecting the thyroid? Yeah, there's no doubt that that's a major cause of thyroid dysfunction, alterations in the microbiome. And for many reasons, one, nutrient deficiencies when the microbiome is not healthy, also inflammation. And of course, it can also set the stage for autoimmunity leading to Hashimoto's. But you know, Hashimoto's is one major cause of low thyroid, but many people have an underactive thyroid and it's not due to Hashimoto's. And the microbiome is implicated in both types of thyroid disorders. So for sure, working on the microbiome will play a major role in helping people to overcome 
a thyroid disorder. But look, you know, the truth is that there are many people that do need to get on thyroid hormone because their condition is so severe. They've been suffering for such a long time. And thyroid hormone for many, many people is the best treatment option. You know, looking for the causes, of course, you must always do. But unfortunately, it's not uncommon that just treating the causes is as good of a treatment as using natural thyroid hormone itself. You always have to do both. You always have to look for causes. But from my experience is that for a lot of people, you're not going to have them reach the highest level of improvement just by trying to treat the causes. It's very different from person to person. I treat a lot of very sick people who have been sick for many, many years. So that's why many or most of my patients with thyroid issues, they do end up being treated with bioidentical thyroid hormone, which is T4 and T3, or sometimes armor thyroid. But again, that But doesn't, not Synthroid, because no, so many people are on Synthroid. No, never Synthroid. And that's just T4. You always need both T4 and T3. And now sometimes only T3, which we could talk about soon. But you need to look for the causes, treat the causes. But sometimes, and more than sometimes, that you actually need to use thyroid hormone for the optimal results that you won't be able to get just by trying to treat the causes or using herbs and supplements. So that's based on the patient population that I see. Sure, you know, well, pre- that's where your energy comes from and you can't heal. Nothing happens at all if they don't have energy. So that's really basic. That's right. That's right. That's right. Exactly true. So in the book, you go into a great, very, very simple program for helping the gut be healthy. And can you just talk about the four Ps? Yeah. So look, there are many different aspects of improving the microbiome. What we know about removing, or I don't like the concept of good versus bad bacteria. That's, you know, to me, it's a mistake in the functional medicine world about calling bacteria bad. It's like, you know, imposing ethics or morality on bacteria. It's just very, very bizarre. There's no such thing as bad bacteria. It's all about the context of the ecosystem of bacteria. You know, I'll give a good example. We all know that staph aureus could be a very bad infection, right? If you have staph infection, right? But most people don't know that there's a certain percentage of staph bacteria in a healthy microbiome. So would you call staph good or bad? Well, it depends on the context. There's no such thing as bad bacteria. There's just healthy versus not so healthy versus unhealthy systems, Mm -hmm. ecosystems. Well, also like E. coli is very common in the gut and it can become a problem child. (laughs) And yeast, yeast are there. They can be a problem or not. They can be helpful. So I I totally get the point you're trying to make. Yes. So it's really all about the health of the overall ecosystem of the microbiome. And I think that's what we should be focusing on more so than looking at it from good versus bad bacteria. Instead of the concept of remove, right? I use the word pruning. We don't want to kill bacteria. Like we talk about, you know, let's kill the bad bacteria. That's a language that I think is antithetical to healing. 
And I think it's really not the best approach. The best approach is more about pruning the microbiome, just sort of trying to improve the ratio of different species so that when you prune, you improve the vineyard, right? And it flourishes. And that's the same approach that we need to have here. And I think that the microbiome is so sensitive to the energy that we put into our treatments, meaning the mental energy, the psychic energy, the way we approach it makes all the difference. It's almost like how we treat as an animal, a dog, right? You know, you could just feed it or feed it with sensitivity, right? And it makes a difference how you treat your animal will just by your emotional response or way of being with your pet, your animal, will make a huge difference in your relationship with the dog, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with bacteria as an ecosystem. Bacteria, when they work together as a whole, it's almost like a live animal that you have to approach as if there's a mind, so to speak, not mm-hmm. a self-awareness yeah. kind of a, a mind. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. An energy that uh, may, will respond to the way you're interacting with it. So we now know that adverse childhood experiences can adversely affect the microbiome. And it's one of the very important factors to consider when we want to create a healthy microbiome to consider what is the emotional state of the person and what types of challenges and traumas they experienced in the past because that's all and the stress they're under all the time, chronic stress. And it gets harbored in bacteria, in the microbiome. Well, you know, you just reminded me of something because one of my favorite things to study is the prenatal period when a baby's forming in the womb. But so in the first 28 days, when the woman doesn't even know she's pregnant yet, the brain's already formed. And around the 28th day, it starts sensing. Now it's not doing math like two and two is four or anything like that, but it's very, very aware and very, very sensing. And so that's from what you're describing, that's how I'm sensing the microbiome right now is there's sensing. It's very sensitive to our stress. Same with the fetus. 28 day old fetus is that embryo is that it's very aware of the stress that the mother's under. If she's happy and laughing, if she's scared and everything, that fetus knows that already. And even the brain development is going to be forming based on whether that baby stays in a stressful environment and everything. So that's probably a perfect thing. And of course, you know, I'm glad you're saying this because I believe that, and I do this myself, is that constantly putting in more of the good every day Like I eat fermented foods and drink probiotic liquids. I'm adding good all the time, every single day. And they crowd out the pathogenic, harmful ones. And I like that and that concept myself. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yes. But the four Ps, could you just kind of quickly define what they are? And they can read the book and get much more detail. But yeah, I mean, like one of the pieces, like this concept of pruning and then also purpose, your own sense of purpose and meaning plays a very important role in overcoming adverse experiences in childhood and in your past. So that's why I use the word, instead of 4R program that most people are familiar with, but it's more about, you know, the pruning and purpose. It's trying to understand, not that I disagree with the 4R, 5R program, Mm -hmm. but I think it's kind of simplistic. I think we need to look at the bigger picture 
about how to approach the microbiome and to understand the, the psychological and emotional components that adversely affect the microbiome. I mean, we know that stress affects the gut, but what we're less aware of is how stress affects the microbiome, which is, these are the- It kills them. Yeah, these are all the instruments, so to speak. This is the symphony going on in the gut is the microbiome. So we need to really understand how stress and adverse experiences, especially in childhood, can upset the microbiome. And then we interpret that as just stress that the gut is experiencing, and that's bad for the gut. But first and foremost, it's how it's affecting the microbiome. Well, and then one of the pieces is permeability. The thyroid has a lot to do with how, whether we have tight junctions in our gut lining. That's right, right. Right. And vice versa. Right. Permeability, inflamed, permeable gut lining is definitely affecting the thyroid. Absolutely. And it can then cause inflammation and translocation of bacteria that actually cross the gut wall and into the body, into the circulation, causing inflammation, perhaps causing even autoimmune disease that can lead to Hashimoto's. And just inflammation itself, even if you don't have Hashimoto's, but inflammation, thyroiditis on different levels and chronic thyroiditis can then lead to suboptimal thyroid function as well. So the microbiome also not only balances the gut wall, that the most important treatment for leaky gut is a healthy microbiome because the microbiome is really what's creating a healthy gut wall. When the microbiome is not healthy, the gut wall will fall. It will just collapse on itself. The microbiome builds up a healthy gut wall. So first and foremost is improve the microbiome when you want to heal intestinal permeability or leaky gut. Additionally, a healthy microbiome will play a very important role in keeping the immune system balanced. The microbiome educates the immune system. Without a healthy microbiome, the immune system would be in total disarray. So that's why the health of the microbiome is so important for our overall health. In every which direction you look, ultimately all roads lead back to the microbiome. That's what the research is showing. And your first book, I'll just remind everybody, is called Microbiome Diet. So that's really important that you have the right diet. Yes. This is all great and really important information, but I really, really like to get into this other thing that nobody knows about because there's a lot of people that are being prescribed thyroid hormones when that is not what they need to be doing to fix the thyroid. So there's a whole chapter in the book on NTIS. Can you explain what that stands for and what it is? This is the absolutely brilliant new understanding that nobody knows anything about, they're not talking about, but it's extremely important because people are being put on thyroid hormone. It's not the right thing to be doing. Right. Or they're not diagnosing the problem at all. NTIS stands for non-thyroidal illness syndrome, which means that in the end, you don't have enough thyroid hormone. But the problem is not coming from the thyroid itself. It's coming from the signals in the brain from the hypothalamus to the pituitary to the thyroid, the signals are low. It's in, the body's in low gear. For different reasons, the body 
may go into this state of being in low gear, almost like a hibernation. With chronic health issues, that's what the body may do. It may say to itself, we got to go into low gear. Because if we stay in high gear, in normal gear, the body's not going to make it. There'll be too much inflammation. And so is that what, you know, the cell danger response when the mitochondria inside the cell doesn't just produce energy, it's a sensing, mitochondria sensors, and it's sensing there's something going on and it yes. shuts down the energy, which is why people feel tired. Exactly. In that first stage, you know, hopefully they'll, it'll gear back up again and they'll heal. But yes. loss of energy and the cell danger response is yes. kind of a hot yes. new thing that a lot of people are talking about. Yes, it's very, very similar. It's a defense strategy that the body decides to go into low gear. And the research about NTIS first started in ICU and intensive care units. What they were finding in these very, very sick people that the thyroid hormones, especially T3, was low. And in that situation, you would expect the TSH to be high, right? Because that comes from the pituitary, the TSH. And when the thyroid is low, usually the pituitary, which controls the thyroid, will start to make more TSH. But what they were finding was no, that the TSH was low as well. So then they came to realize that the problem here was that the signals, the body was sending low signals. The signal level was very low in such a chronic state of ill health in the ICU. So what happens is, is the body goes into down regulation, especially inside the cells. The first thyroid hormone that drops is T3, and then T4 may drop, and it could be very subtle. And then the TSH you would expect to be high, but in fact, they were finding that it's either normal or low. Then they found the same problem, NTIS, in patients with chronic depression and chronic anxiety. And then they found it with burn patients. And then they found this condition with autoimmune diseases like colitis. And the key word here is chronic and protracted. When the body's in a state of chronic, protracted ill health, that's when those signals may be triggered to go into hibernation. And while it may be a long-term protective measure, so you're not going to die of cancer, right? But you're going to be in a debilitated state of significant low thyroid symptoms. And the routine tests could just be totally misleading. In fact, the TSH could look completely normal, even based on the reference ranges that functional medicine doctors use. They say, let's say a TSH of 2.8 or 2.5 or 3 is abnormal as opposed to just a 5, as opposed to a 5. But here you could have a TSH of as low as 1 or 0.8. And most people will say, oh, no, their thyroid is completely normal. No, they may have NTIS. Now, how do I know about this? Well, first of all, I know the literature about it. But what I found was that many patients who have chronic ill health, whether it's from Lyme disease, depression, and autoimmune disorders, or microbiome, imbalances for a protracted period of time, many of these people may have NTIS. So that's the new idea and the new finding that I think 
is so important for the functional medicine world to know about, and they don't, by and large, that... That's why I wanted to do this podcast so badly, and I was stalking you. Thank <laughs> you. Because they and don't know, and... They don't know. The treatment is different. NTIS could be in a patient with chronic Lyme, with mm -hmm. chronic... Candida. Chronic Candida, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I read the book. Here's the book, by the way, everybody. <laughs> so there's a whole chapter on this. But the thing is, so many people now have become long haulers. I was yes. going to ask you, don't you think, I mean, they qualify, don't you think, because a virus has entered the body, is probably still very present, still causing inflammation, and people with, you know, first symptom people report is fatigue. So they may get tested, get put on a, you know, thyroid hormone, and that isn't what they need. So I right. think that might be a perfect example. Right. Okay. So here's what you need. Look, I do find this in long haulers that a large percentage have a low thyroid. Now, again, the long, protracted, chronic, that's the key word in determining or raising a suspicion that someone may have NTIS. So lo and behold, because it's long hauler, long haul COVID, that means that they're at an increased risk of having suboptimal thyroid function or NTIS. And it makes sense because what's underlying long-haul COVID or COVID in general, inflammation. And the research shows that what's triggering NTIS, what's triggering the body to say, you know, guys, let's go into low gear. You know what it is? Inflammation. Inflammation up in the brain will trigger this body response of NTIS, let's go into low gear. So that's why you may, you're likely to see this in long-haul COVID as well, NTIS. Now, the problem with treating NTIS with regular thyroid hormone like T4 or Synthroid or even Armor is because you're giving T4 and T4 could get converted to reverse T3. And in a lot of the people with NTIS, they may have high reverse T3. Reverse T3 is actually blocking the effects of T3. And then now you're making the condition even worse because you're creating more reverse T3. So if you're going to use thyroid hormone, and frequently you do need to, you have to only use T3 at the beginning. And then you have to restore wellness. It's about restoring wellness. Yeah, address the Lyme disease, address the virus, address, address the, the microbiome, address the chronic stress. Yeah. Temporarily, frequently, you have to use T3 alone. Because you need energy. Yeah. To get the whole thing going, yeah. Exactly. But do you mind explaining our T3? Because a lot of people don't know. I've never even heard reverse T3. So right. what, where does that come from? You've got your T4. So right. what's, what's happening there? So this is also a compensatory mechanism that sometimes the body wants to put the brakes on metabolic function and it wants to go into a low gear or slow down metabolism at times and in certain conditions like inflammatory states and you know chronic ill health. So it will produce reverse T3. All that means is it's like a block of T3. It's stopping the T3 from entering into the cells, it's preventing it. So it's called reverse T3. And when you're not getting enough T3, one of the critical thyroid hormone, your metabolism is going to shut down. So 
in NTIS, we frequently see high reverse T3, not always, but sometimes, frequently, I should say frequently. So, but they're not one in the same. But the answer is to these conditions that are leading to NTIS is restoring wellness, most important, reducing inflammation with the appropriate herbs and immune modulators, natural compounds that will reduce the inflammatory cytokines that are provoking this state called NTIS. Hmm. So you have to know which herbs to use, which will specifically improve or lower those inflammatory markers, cytokines that are related or that are causally connected to this condition called NTIS. So because I'm using the TRH stimulation test, I found in so many people with chronic ill health, when I did the stimulation test, nothing happened. The pituitary wasn't responding at all. It was asleep. You know, it just usually you would get, even in a healthy person, a response with the TSH would be kind of high, you know. But on so many people I was finding over the years, there was a dead response. It was blunted. I call it a blunted response. So that's how I was beginning to see that NTIS is not just a condition found in the intensive care unit or in uh, burn patients or colitis. It's a real condition that's found in the clinical setting that the average doctor, especially functional medicine doctors, is encountering likely every single day. And even with their routine thyroid blood testing with a changed reference range, you know, lowering the TSH level bar to let's say 2.5, even they're still missing so many, 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 many cases of low thyroid based on this condition called NTIS. And then they're not treating the Lyme disease or the virus or the yeast infection or what is right. actually starting this whole thing. Yeah. You know, you have to look for what are the underlying reasons why the body may have gone into such a state. Now, there are blood tests that you could do that measure these different cytokines, these inflammatory compounds that the immune system produces. People know now that cytokine storm with COVID that the immune system just produces many, many inflammatory compounds called cytokines. That's the cytokine storm. And we can measure many of these cytokines. And I think it's very, very important for clinicians to measure cytokines. And then when you see these elevations, that can also raise your level of suspicion that you may be dealing with someone with NTIS. Inflammation doesn't just cause pain in your joints. It can actually cause the body to go into a state called NTIS. You know, some of the cytokines are like TNF-alpha, C-reactive-protein, interleukin-6, and so on. And one of the, gosh, I wish I could remember the name of the company, but there is a company now that's testing a lot of people who are long haulers, and they've identified very consistently they have the same cytokines. RANTS is one of them, for example, another cytokine. So that's why when I was reading the book, I just had to have you on here. So because there's all these practitioners out there that are trying to treat long haulers. Fortunately, people are coming to them, but they don't know about this part. And I've been following the long hauler thing for a long time. And 
you know, so when COVID, the virus enters the body, it wakes up other viruses. For example, that's easy for one virus can easily wake up other viruses and yeast candidas, if they had it under control, it's definitely activated now. So then of course, like you said, there's all this inflammation, but so that's really what you've got to address is these awakened infections, basically, Epstein-Barr, CMV. They know this for a fact. So this fits right into what you're saying is the proof. And then the practitioner must know this to really be able to help people. So just say, okay, you've got a low thyroid. We're going to put you on thyroid medication. I actually had a personal experience with that because I was feeling so tired and I went and got a blood test. It showed low thyroid. And um, I actually went on a thyroid, very low dose for Within a month or so, I started losing hair. And I thought, this isn't right. So I realized I wasn't supposed to be on that thyroid hormone. But I got a test right around that time from Body of Bio, which is there are these liquids and you put them in water and you taste them. And if you if it's really a bad taste, then you don't need that mineral. Well, I happen to be low in selenium and iodine. Yes. So all I did was up my selenium and iodine and correct that deficiency. And my thyroid has been fine ever since then. So yeah. It is. Yeah, I just want to share that. Yeah, I mean, iodine deficiency, as we said before, is a cause of low thyroid. There's no doubt. And then many people could correct their low thyroid with iodine supplementation and selenium. There's a lot of Maybe uh, zinc. Yeah. I was fine with zinc because I've been taking it for the COVID thing, you know, plenty right. of zinc, but right. non selenium, not iodine. So just, just yeah. for people to realize, as you said in the very, very beginning, it's complicated. But yes. people have left out this really big piece of information that no one knows. You were the first, one of the very first people to see this and address it ages ago. Just so I'm, I'm hoping people understand the importance of this particular podcast here and get this information out, listen to it several times, share it, please. So Dr. Kilman, what do people do? Can they they can come to you for help, but you're so busy. How can you take on the no, world? No, no, no. I'm always available. Oh, good. But you're so compassionate. You're the kind of doctor everybody wants where you spend a lot of time. Clearly you care. And clearly you just Thank have you. a very, very wonderful understanding of the way the body works and the microbiome and nature, you know, that we're part of nature. So, well, I guess we should probably bring this to an end and we've covered the most important things of all, but... Thank you very, very much. I'm anxious to get this out. Oh, thank you, Donna. It's always great to talk to you. And thank you for thinking of me and having me on your show. And I, I hope, you know, it helps people. It will help people. <laughs> all right, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let thank me you, know Donna. if you find all of a sudden the world's starting to learn about NTIS, which stands for non I hope. thyroidal. Illness syndrome, yes. Oh, yes. illness. Yeah, I wanted to say inflammation. Non-thyroidal illness symptom. If you can't remember that, buy the book. <laughs> I love this book, and I have all the books, actually, that Dr. Kelman has written. But this is really special, and it's simple, easy to understand, and highly recommend that you, you read it and get some other copies for other people. So, thank Dr. Kelman, thank you very, Thanks. very much. Thank you for having me. Great. Bye-bye. Bye. Body ecology is not a diet. It's a way of life based on seven universal laws that always guide us toward the truth. If you want to know more about us, about these seven universal laws, and about our amazing, effective products, go to our website, bodyecology.com.
Also, for a free transcript of this show, go to our website. Again, that's bodyecology.com. And of course, if you like what you're learning, we'd be very grateful for a review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've got a topic you want to learn about, just let us know. This information does not replace the advice of your doctor or healthcare professional. Thank you very much for listening. And here's to a happier, healthier world.